Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports again. Let me welcome you to the Ion College Basketball Podcast again, which is uh, now, of course, brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial, by the way, and 10% off, go to squarespace.com slash CBS Sports and use the offer code FUN. Uh, that's fun at squarespace.com slash CBS Sports. All right, let's get into it. Matt Norlander and Jeff Borzella are both with me as usual on Monday. The big story from the weekend, uh, I think I witnessed it. Syracuse coach Jim Beheim flipped out in the final 11 seconds at Cameron Indoor Stadium. It was a two-point game, a charge call on C.J. Fair taken by Rodney Hood. I think at this point everybody has seen it a million times. Uh, Norlander, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on Jim Beheim losing his mind and 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 arguably uh, losing an opportunity for his team to maybe pull off another upset. Well, um, first of all, you and I, Gary, have been in person for the two biggest coaching flipouts of the year. Um, I would argue that Beheim is the more well-known one, but I'd say Kevin Ollie was actually angrier. Beheim was more geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was wild. Uh, like Ollie, like Ollie stared. Now let's not forget Ollie. He stared down the ref. He walked about the court before he finally he got his looks in. Uh, um, but but either way. Um, but I'll Kevin Ollie, let's be fair. Kevin Ollie in a UConn Louisville game, it doesn't register to Jim oh, Beheim yeah. and Cameron oh, Indoor. Like this no, is a, this is a different. Fran, deal. Fran McCaffrey was up there too, but it's still not the same. <laughs> you know what? That's so what Beheim did. I forgot about McCaffrey. That's a good point. And uh, no, GP, you're absolutely 100 percent right. Um, uh, just these coaches have an act for doing it on Saturday in primetime, I guess. Uh, I side. Okay. So entertaining. And it actually, a, a guy tweeted at me aside by, I tweeted out photos of Bayheim and someone tweeted by me a side by side photo of Bayheim and Michael Jackson that has blown up Twitter. Was terrific. Uh, my at mentions have never been so under molten lava like that. If you haven't seen it, uh, just check Twitter. It, it was amazing. But regardless of all of that, I definitely come down on the side that it was unacceptable if you want to use that term because Beheim, you know, anyone listening that saw the game and heard the analysis after, uh, there was by no means was the game over at that point. You know, it was a two point game, and I I believe Duke uh, was only in the single bonus. Um, so I, actually, uh, they were still at six fouls. Syracuse was so another foul would have caused a one and one. We don't know what would have happened. They would have been shooting. It would have been sixty fifty eight with Duke shooting one and one with probably like nine eight seconds left to go. So make and and by the way, yeah. I can't. They were shooting roughly. 60% for the game for the free throw right. line. So statistically, they weren't supposed to then go down and make two free throws. If they do, whatever. Uh, but we see it all the time. Hell, Doug McDermott on Sunday missed, like, uh, uh, and, and Ethan Rogge both, like, missed free throws down the stretch that gave Seton Hall an opportunity to maybe force overtime. And so um, we see games like that all the time where, um, okay, foul, if they miss a free throw, you'll have a shot. And given that this is the team we we actually like just saw win at the buzzer a few weeks ago with Tyler Ennis at Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I don't think there's any denying that he, at the very least, cost them an opportunity at something special. Yeah, and just one more quick thing here, then Borzell, I'll let you hop in. But I I, I totally agree with that, and I think um, there's something of a double standard here. Uh, Greg Doyle had had a column on this today, and GP, you touched on it in your column. Um, overall, just what Beheim cost, but I'm telling you, like. If C.J. Fair did that exact same thing, he would be getting the Marcus Smart treatment, regardless of the fact that if it was the exact same action, then C.J. Fair had remained on the floor. But if he if he yells at a ref, that's BS six times in a row. I mean, can you even imagine what like it, the the world would have melted down the college basketball world if that happened? But because it's Beheim, because he's got you know 900 wins and and he's a Hall of Famer, and sometimes we enjoy how coaches can be like that. And I'm totally in favor of coaches showing personality and all that stuff. I still think it was. Uh, within bounds to criticize Beheim fairly and harshly for the way he reacted because it to me it uh, it wasn't you know acceptable given the, the circumstance. And, and Fair mentioned that after the game, he yeah. said that you know, if Beheim hadn't done that, they would still have a chance to win. And he's obviously right. I mean, you, you just mentioned it, uh, GP, about how you know Duke might have missed a free throw when Syracuse gets the ball back. Um, I I just, I just feel like the um, one technical would have been warranted. I don't. I mean, just the ejection to me completely ruined the ending of the game. I understand why the ref did what he did. I just, 
Um, and then Dick Vitale mentioned this on the broadcast, you know, give him one technical and then and let him yell. Um, but, you know, to me, two technicals ejecting him. And, you know, Syracuse obviously had no chance to win after that. Um, what do you guys think about that? You know, do you think he had a good I, I think, listen, I was, I was literally. More, he, was, he was all over that ref, man. I was literally across the court from Jim. Like, my seat at Cameron is basically across from his seat. And I, so I saw him probably before the TV cameras got it, you know? Like, I saw yeah. the whole thing go down, and it was, like, surreal. Like, it was, like, in slow motion. Like, oh, my God. Like, he is out here. And I thought, and, and obviously I've seen the replay a hundred times since then, I thought he gave the ref no choice. Like you yeah. can't. Like if you're that's not. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're not gonna. If you're not gonna eject the guy for that. Like what are you going to eject the guy for? And so, um, I, I, I actually like. You know, we can we could talk and we will talk about the actual call in a moment. Whether or not you know the referee screwed that up, but. I, I I don't think throwing Jim out was was a screw up because I I don't think Jim get you know they didn't want to do that you know Tony right. Green didn't want to you don't want to toss Jim Bayheim on national first, television in that moment it, it seemed like it seemed like he didn't he said like the second second technical didn't come until like the sixth or seventh you know profanity that yes. Bayheim dropped and yeah. pointing at him so I, yes. I I guess I could see that he didn't really want to throw him out but. Be when Bayham just kept going back at him. You he know, was not going to stop. He had made up yeah. his mind. He wasn't stopping, right? So I, I thought he actually gave Tony Green no choice but to do what he did. Here's what's interesting, though, because, um, you know, after the game, you know, we filed our columns, and, and we all went to a little place in Durham called uh, Danes, right? So Danes, and uh, and it was me and, and uh, uh, Pat Forty and Ryan Fagan and Nicole Auerbach, a lot and uh, a lot of the local writers. Um, CL Brown was there. A lot, a lot of the people who covered Duke in Carolina, and we just sort of got into a conversation about this whole moment. Like, what did you write? What did I write? That kind of thing. And I actually, at that time, because then of course there's, you know, we're in a bar, so there's televisions <laughs> everywhere, and um, you know, I so we're watching it over and over again. And I actually said, man, if that were CJ Fair doing that instead of Jim would have, the whole thing would have been uh, different because I, I think you got to look at the way it went down in real time. Like we see it and it's just bananas. And then we're so tuned into Twitter. Like it, it became comedy like quickly, yeah. you know? And so it was like, it took me a few hours afterward to go, wow, like he really flipped out. Like, I don't know if that's funny. Like it's been funny. And with like the Michael Jackson, uh, you know, picture and all that stuff, like that stuff's hilarious, but I don't know how funny this was. And so I'm like having this, like an external conversation, but also like internally debating it with myself. Like, okay, like, should I have went after Jim harder than I did? Now I did, you know, point out that him saying, oh, the game was already over. Like that's, that's not true. And I explained why and all the things we've talked about here. And, and, and I explained that he messed up and there's no De denying that he messed up. You could try to defend him if you want, but you can't deny that he messed up and at the very least he cost his team an opportunity. But I, I thought it was uh, a reasonable comparison to draw. What would have been the reaction if a player would have done this and cost his team that same opportunity? And here's what I ultimately concluded. I, I think that's an interesting, um, in interesting conversation. But is there something to be said for we are so used to seeing coaches yell at referees and we're not used to seeing players yell at referees that when a player does it, the reaction would be different because it would be so, it would be more out of character. Like, I don't care what basketball game you watch, John Calipari, Rick Patino, Tom Izzo, like the, Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, they are all yelling at referees nonstop. And so I, I, I don't know if it's a, a double standard in how we actually view it as much as it's a double standard in, in how it actually goes down and we're sort of programmed what we should accept and what we shouldn't accept. I mean, you can see, watch any basketball game this week. Uh, because I was actually starting to go, okay, like, did I, because like, Norlander, you brought it up, like, you know, it's a Hall of Famer, so he gets a pass. And I was like, did I give him a pass because he's a Hall of Famer? And uh -huh. I really, and I really don't think that's true because like, I, you know, I just don't, you know, I, but, but I started thinking why. And I don't know. I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Well, here's, all right, the, so. the idea, okay, like if we saw a, a player yelling at a referee for a 40 minute basketball game, as much as Tom Izzo does every game or Mike Krzyzewski does every game, we would go, what is he doing? Like it, it would just not be allowed. But there's yeah. sort of there's sort of this leeway given to coaches. So when they are yelling at referees, even though this one was unique, when coaches typically in a in a in a uh, in a vacuum, when coaches are yelling at referees, it's not abnormal. Players yelling at referees is very abnormal. 
I think there's, I think it is time that we kind of expanded this conversation um, and, and put some light under it because think about it like this, like the player thing is totally hundred percent, right? Player can never do that um, because the player never has done it. This for whatever reason has been a part of college basketball. By this, I mean coaches just on stop. Yes. Verbally going after officials for the game. And here's the thing, like uh, GPU had Seth Davis on recently for his wooden book, like wooden people don't realize, but he was relentless with officials. This isn't a new thing. This isn't like happened in the nineties. No, this, this goes back 40, 50 years, but you know what it does, where it doesn't happen at? It doesn't happen in the NBA. I was just going to say that. Yeah. You don't see it. So why is it, why is it that we allow and accept college basketball coaches just to constantly be so irate to me? It it feels like 20 years from now, and, and I could be wrong, but in almost the way that we look at coaches that were like Woody Hayes and Bobby Knight, like that's not really how you coach anymore. Maybe 20 years from now, we really won't see this kind of sideline behavior from college basketball coaches because we'll have moved on and evolved from it. And I think we should because I understand getting fired up. If you want to get fired up at your team, listen, I love when Tom Izzo has got that brutal, harsh love for his his guys and he shows it and the cameras catch it. I think that's a genuine passion that's not uh, anything – maniacal or, or, you know, evil behind it. But for coaches to constantly just, and, and Krzyzewski, by the way, is among the worst ever. I think that has to be said. I, I think we should start taking the coaches to task about, there's no reason why they have to act like this. No, I, I actually, I've had that same thought. Like, why, why is it acceptable? Just because it's always been acceptable? Like, um, you know, and, and the interest, like, it's not the same with football or some of these other sports because, you know, in basketball, there is an official that has to run baseline to baseline, essentially right in front of the benches both ways, back and forth, again. back yeah. and forth. So you are always, if you're a coach, within earshot of, within earshot of somebody. And, and it is often, like, you know, I don't know how TV picks it up, but when you're sitting courtside, like the the way you see coaches just constantly yell, and it's it's not even like it's not just Mike Shashevsky. He is one of the worst. But you know, like Duke Carolina, I was right by the Carolina bench. That's where my seat was. Um, Roy Williams was nonstop all night long on the officials. You know, Patino's that way. Calipari's that way. You see it all the time. Uh, coaches call timeouts and yell at the officials instead of talk to their teams. Yeah. And 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 that's why I actually, I, I that's why I think it's different. And I actually like. I think it's different than just simply saying if CJ fair would have been treated differently, because I think we're so programmed to watch coaches yell at refs that when a coach yells at a ref, it doesn't seem crazy. Now, Jim looked crazy and he went too far and he was ejected for all of those reasons. Uh, But you never see, even in the moment, like even in a very normal moment that Mike Krzyzewski had with an official in that game that you may or may not have seen, um, you never see a player have that moment with the official. Or, and by or, the way, uh, just real quick, Rosello, I, I just want to point out this real quick before I lose the train of thought. We're going to probably get to him and his team in a second here. You know who never does this, or at least I'm almost positive, and if I'm wrong, feel free to correct me if anyone listening wants to correct. Uh, Larry Brown, who has obviously tremendous experience at the pro level. Can you ever remember since he came back, Larry Brown acting this way? A lot of pro background there, so I think there's – Something to be said with that, too. Yeah, well, like I sit, uh, oftentimes I go, you know, one night to the next sitting courtside at a college game and then courtside at an NBA game because uh, of the Memphis Grizzlies. And um, now, listen, I sit beside those benches and you'll you'll hear uh, you'll hear coaches go at refs every once in a while. Like like, you know, but it's very it's tame, very tame relative to what you hear college coaches do. And I do. I think Norlander, you're right. There is no explanation for it other than it's always been this way. You know. Well, so- like, I mean, Beheim got no additional punishment from the ACC, which didn't really surprise anybody. But you know, like you mentioned, if CJ Fair had done it, you know, how many games suspension would he he would have gotten? He would have been you know suspended for several games. But in Beheim, nobody really expected the ACC to do anything but you know say that you know he got the two technicals, technicals, he got ejected, and that's that. You know, if it was a player. Uh, it would have been a, a multiple game suspension. I, I think that's true. I think it goes uh, you know, back to we've always allowed coaches to yell at play, yep. uh, refs. We've never allowed players to yell at refs. And so, and maybe this is wrong on our part, but when it happens, it's perceived as like the, among the reasons the Marcus Smart thing like went the, the way it went 
was because it was so at like you never see it. You know, you never see a player put his hands on a fan, jump up and put his hands on it. It just doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, it has happened, but it's very rare. Uh, a coach yelling at a ref isn't rare at all. Now, the, to the extent that Jim went is is pretty uncommon, but just the simple act of yelling and pointing at a referee, that's pretty common stuff in college basketball. And, and in fairness, I, I don't know if it should be. Uh, I, I don't know what it should be. But um, the other thing was the post-game press conference where I, I thought it was hilarious and, and, and actually like perfect. It lived up to expectations. Uh, but the only thing I thought where Jim was, and, and Greg Doyle wrote about this, where I, I thought he sort of took it too far was when he just refused. And I recognize this is just him. This is always the way he was going to be. But he was like, no, no regrets. I won't regret it tomorrow. I won't regret it next week. I won't regret it next year. And to, to, to say you don't have any regrets about costing your team an opportunity to win at Cameron Indoor, I think that's just, it's either you're, you're wrong, you're just being wrong, or you're not being honest. Like, you got to regret that on some level, or at the very least, you should. I mean, uh, because that's where you can actually draw the comparison. What if C.J. Fair, forget all the antics, yelling at the referee. Just what if C.J. Fair would have drawn a double technical at the end, uh, right at right when it was 60-58, and cost his team an opportunity to have a shot, maybe at the buzzer, to force overtime or, or even win. That, And then after the game, he would have said, no, I have no regrets. Like, we would have all then been for sure. Oh. Like, what, and it's, what? Especially, especially that Fair, you know, said after the game that he thinks that – Sure, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, now he sees – he says that, then he sees that Beheim said, I have no regrets. You know, what's C.J. Fair thinking? Like, all right, well – you know, I think you cost us the game, and you don't really care at all. Yeah, um, I, I think you chalk that up. If you want to chalk, if you want to kill Beheim for that, you actually can. You know, but I, I think you mostly chalk it up to he can't possibly really oh, not not yeah. have any regrets. He's just being at that moment. He's just being Jim Beheim. You know, exactly. at that moment, he's just being Jim. Be- like somebody asked him in the press conference. Um, you know, and this is sort of it all. There's a pattern to it all. At, at some point, he was just going to be dismissive of everything. Like there was no question about this or anything bad that he was going to play along with. And so somebody asked the question of, you know, a few days ago you were, uh, you know, undefeated, ranked number one. Now you've lost two straight and now you're sitting here at 25 and two. And he like interrupted. He was like, yeah, 25 and two. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like I'm going to cry myself to sleep tonight. Probably we're, we're only 25 and two. And so like, he just wasn't going to, um, he wasn't going to dignify any of it uh, yeah. or, or acknowledge that maybe you had a point. Uh, my guess is in a private moment, uh, yeah, of course he regrets. You know, acting, uh, uh, let's just call it ridiculous uh, in that moment. And, uh, and, and even if he doesn't regret how he looked or his lack of composure, at the very least you have to regret not, you know, taking – ripping an opportunity away from your from your players that's all coaches ever talk about I want what's best for my players I just care about my players I love my players well he cost his players an opportunity I'm not saying he cost them the win but he cost them theoretically an opportunity at the win and that's uh that's something that you you should regret now let me ask you this call was it the right call yeah. or the wrong call I think it was the wrong call <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. I, I I just think I don't think Ronnie Hood was set I don't think um, you know, I don't think he beat him to the spot. You you compare it to the Jabari Parker um, call from earlier when they called the um, they didn't call a charge. They called a block on that play. I think this was way more of a block. Um, so to me, you know, right when I saw it, I thought it was a block. And looking at the replay for the past twenty four hours, I still think it's a block. Feels like a block. Um, it feels it, like a block, but I think from letter of the law, it might be a charge. It's it's truly tough. You it know, it's tough. They, you know, and and this would be, you know, we probably would have still led the podcast with this, even if Beheim had just waved his arms and done the typical smirk and folded his arms, and and then maybe had made a point in the post game, we'd still be leading with this as as we should. It's it is a bang bang play. I lean toward block barely. I don't I don't feel like it was one hundred percent. I don't know if if anyone's reached out to uh, to John Adams. I'm sure he loves, by the way, the NCAA director of officials. I'm sure he loves when stuff like this happens because he's got twelve reporters hitting up his phone wanting his opinion on this. But I yeah, I lean I lean block. Um, but you know what? Also, like we can debate it uh, all we want. I, in my opinion, one, the officials have done a better job this year, and also it's basketball, so this kind of stuff is inevitable. It's, yes. it's tough. Like it, these guys do a really good job overall. I know a lot of people like to kill college basketball officials. Personally, I think they do for the most part an incredible job. Uh, so it was a tough call. 
And you know what? A little bit of balancing out because maybe Duke should have got – actually, Duke definitely should have gotten that call in Syracuse when Hood got fouled on the dunk attempt down by one in OT. He didn't get it. So the universe brings a little balance to it. It is a little think. It's a thinkless job, you know. Like um, you're only rarely are you acknowledged as being great. You're just ridiculed for every mistake that you make, and um, I, I think that's true. I think they mostly do a good job. But when you mess up on on this stage, and I'm not even saying they messed up. Like I, I you know, I, I the the call might have been the right call. It's certainly debatable. But I just remember when I was a kid. Um, I, I don't know why I remember this exactly, but there was this uh, one of referee we had in a soccer game. And, um, you know, we're captains are meeting, you know, before the game, like flip the coin, all that stuff to kick off, kicks off. And uh, and so he looks at us and he goes, he looks at me and he goes, have you ever you ever played a perfect soccer match? And I said, uh, no. And he looks at the guy on the other team. He goes, you ever played a perfect soccer match? And he said, uh, no. He said, oh, okay, and I've never called one. So listen, I'm not going to get mad at you when, you when you mess up. Don't get mad at me. If I mess up, we'll all do the best we can. I was like, okay. But I, that's sort of the deal, right? You know, like, you know, players mess up, coaches mess up, but referees aren't allowed to mess up. And, and, and listen, I'm not trying to change that. I, I just sort of, I know that that's the, and, and all the officials, they know that as well. Like, that's, that's part of the job. Um, but, you know, in, 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 in this particular moment, it's just, you know, what if we can all look at it and, and everybody else around the country can look at it and say, feels like a block, but I could see how maybe it was a charge or, and I, I think partly why it feels like a block is because we rarely, you rarely see charges this year unless somebody lowers a shoulder, you know? And, and so I think that's, that's why it, it maybe feels like a block, but I think by the letter of the law, you could certainly I- interpret it uh, as a charge. Either way, I, I go back to the bottom line that you made. This kind of stuff happens. You know, I think by the rule book, Rodney Hood got fouled on his dunk attempt at the carrier dome. You know, I think if you go read the rule of what's a foul, I think you could find it in that clip. And 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 there was a you know no whistle. And you 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 know you you and, and keep, listen, Mike Krzyzewski was just as pissed about that as anybody. Um, but these things, I don't know if they balance themselves out. You always hear that. Oh, they always balance themselves out. I'm not sure that they do. Like Iowa State lost right, two games. To, the, in the, yeah, but yeah. In this case, right, yeah, yeah. But but I don't know. They balance themselves out. But but they happen. And to sit around and and pretend that they shouldn't happen or won't happen, I, I think, is just living in a fantasy world. This is part of the deal, right? Pretty much. I mean, and by the way, how about Shashevsky taking up for Beheim? I mean, not that I was surprised by it, but. I mean, full on, like 100% support. You know, that's – did he say that's Jim or something like that? I, I mean, thought – you know what? Because uh, I actually talked to Doyle about that because he was working on this column. And I, I don't know how much they showed of it on ESPN, like the whole press – I know it, they sh- – Sure. It was 10 seconds. That's Jim. He's got that fire, yada, yada. Okay. So, like, I think context matters sometimes. So, the way the question was asked was, um, Mike, were you surprised to see Jim Beheim react the way he reacted? And I'm paraphrasing, but this is essentially what he said. The first words out of his mouth were yes and no. So when you when you take that for what it is, okay, he, the question is, were you surprised? And the answer is yes and no. So the reason you're surprised is because, wow, you just don't ever see a coach run out there like that. Of course, like I was surprised. And, and so I think he acknowledged that with the yes. And then, and, but then he also said, no, I wasn't surprised. And then when given the opportunity to expand, he chose to only expand on one side of that. In other words, he could have said, yes, I was, yes and no. Yes, I was surprised because you never see a coach run out like that, point his finger in a rest face, cuss at him like that. So yes, I mean, given that I've been doing this as long as I've been doing this and you rarely see something like that, I was surprised. That is very out of character for not just Jim, but for college basketball coaches in general. So that would have been the expanding on the yes, but he just chose not to even get into that. So he said yes and no. And he and then he started talking about Jim's fire and emotion. And so what he tried to do, I think, is what most of us would try to do if we were asked a question in a public setting about a friend, you know, and, and, and you, you, you won't deny that he did something crazy or out of, out of the ordinary. And I, I think Mike acknowledged that by saying, yeah, I was surprised. But you, you, you stress what you want to stress. And so he turned it into a commentary on uh, the fire and uh, he cares. And, you know, I just think it's really, you know, it's really neat. You know, we're both up there and age and, and we, but we both still care. We both still have that fire. We both want to win so badly. And so he turned it into a commentary on that as opposed to the, 
the other part. So I, I get how that could be interpreted as him standing up, but I didn't, I, I didn't get the sense sitting there right in front of him that he was defending Jim as much as he was trying to say, "Hey, Jim's a fiery guy. It might have got out of hand this time, but it, you know, at, at the root of it, that's why he's so great at what he does. It's because he's an older guy, but he still cares like crazy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, all right, so real quick. Uh, with the two losses, they still got to play at Virginia to Syracuse, still at Maryland, still ACC. Uh, what are we putting the odds on they don't get the one seed? Because right now, you know, everyone still has them as a number one seed, which I think is totally fair. Uh, but I do think that they're opening up an opportunity. Um, maybe a slight one because Michigan State's not going to get it now. Um, almost definitely not going to get it, but Kansas is still in the mix. Arizona had a really nice win. Do we think they're legitimately in danger of losing it? I think I mean, they could be. I mean, if they lose to Virginia this coming week and then they lose again in the – they're going to have to go through both Duke and Virginia, I'm guessing, to win the ACC tournament title. So with two more losses, I mean, I guess they, you could put it in play if Kansas runs the table and wins the Big 12 uh, pretty convincingly. You, could, you know, in theory, you could see them getting that fourth number one over Syracuse if Arizona keeps winning. I could see Kansas getting there for sure. Yeah. You know, you win yeah. the Big 12 outright and then win the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, you're going to be – With the uh, schedule they played, yeah. With the schedule they played. And I think – like the worst of it's behind them, if I if I'm right. They got home game with Oklahoma. Uh, that's Monday night. Then they've got Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. That'll be tough, right? But still, I mean, they'll be favored in that game, I imagine. And then you close with Texas Tech. Go to at West Virginia. That I mean, that could be um, that could be tricky. It's a tricky game. Yeah, but um, but they they'll be favored in their last four games if they go win the Big Twelve tournament, given the schedule that they played and how strongly that schedule is defined by the RPI, which is the device, regardless of whether you it's, think it's flawed or not. It is the device that the NCAA uses. Especially if Syracuse, if they lose to Virginia next week, that's, that means they're not going to win the ACC regular season title. And if they don't win the tournament, that means you're going to put a number one seed that hasn't won either. The regular season or conference tournament over a team like Kansas, who played the you know the best schedule in history or whatever, and won both regular season and conference tournament. Yeah, I could see a scenario where we're talking on Selection Sunday: Arizona, Florida, Wichita State, and, and Kansas, with Syracuse being a two. I could see that. That's not yeah. that's not a crazy scenario, right? But at the same time, like a week ago, we just you know we would have I guess entertained that, but not this soon because no one obviously thought Boston College would go out and win for Dick Kelly the way it did, which, by the way, like just it hurts Syracuse even more that Boston College went out and did that at Syracuse and then gets absolutely romped by Miami on Saturday. So uh, that will have some, you know, continually uh, decreasing value towards Syracuse's schedule overall. All right, I, let's turn away from Syracuse. I do want to touch on a few different things. Let's get to some uh, news and notes brought to you by Squarespace. We'll go through, I guess, four of them maybe. The first one, uh, note number one I want to get into, Wichita State clinched the Missouri Valley Conference title uh, over the weekend. I, I recognize that this was uh, always going to be the way that this season ended, uh, but still a cool scene you know, at, in Wichita, you know, in front of a packed house, cutting nets again, uh, you know, and, and – it's funny, John Calipari said a few weeks ago that his team was the most, his Kentucky team was the most overanalyzed team in the history of sports. Now, I, good you know, point. Good point. Okay. I, I think it's Wichita. I don't even think it's college basketball. I don't even think Kentucky's the most analyzed team in college basketball. Yep. I think it's Wichita State. Am I, am I wrong? I think it's Wichita You're State. You're right, yeah. I mean, yeah. Every, time, every time somebody mentions them on Twitter or on TV, there's just a, a barrage. Of oh. tweets that people are just like ready, I guess, How, to, like, to like to come at you with all these. Well, they didn't play this team. They didn't play. They played nobody. They haven't played anybody in two months. Like I don't, I don't know who these people are. They keep waiting for us well, to just mention yeah. it, Wichita State, but it's unbelievable. And by the way, so yeah, this is guys. This is bizarre. And, I, and we touched on it a little bit last week. We don't have to go too deep into it. But so we got you know between you know my account and and I on college basketball. Check the app mentions. Um, I just as a kind of a. A survey of the people I wanted to know specifically were these Kansas fans, Florida fans, and so I would check the bios on the Twitter of of where these people. It doesn't matter. It's and, everywhere. And, it's everywhere. But isn't this weird? Like it, it's bizarre how Wichita State is inspiring this doubt and hate and and dismissal from so many people. This is not Gonzaga. Never had this. Butler never had this. Mason. They came on late. They they don't really even apply. But they never had this. Um, who am I forgetting? There's another. Did St. Joe's have this? BCU hasn't really well, St. ever. Joe's, St. Joe's couldn't have had this because there's no Twitter St. then. Well, St. Joe's, you know what? We remember what Packer said, and I do remember right. a little bit of pushback <laughs> from St. Joe's, but 
and probably because Twitter wasn't around, but it wasn't yeah. anything like this. To me, it's gotten to a, a really weird uh, level that I can't totally explain. Yeah, like, you know, again, we've gone through their resume enough. There's nothing they can do about their conference schedule. Like, it's just, it's too bad, right? I, I, I'm sure they'd love to play in the, uh, in the Big 12. You know, give me, I, I'm sure they'd love to take in part of that Big 12 schedule. They can't do it, right? So, um, I, I just, you know, I, I don't get folks being, it's one thing to be skeptical of them as a one of the best four teams in the country. I think that's reasonable. Like are they like tomorrow in the AP poll, I imagine they're going to be ranked second in the country, right? Like that and, so. and so like if you wanted to start a conversation um if you wanted to start a conversation saying I, I don't really think they're second best team in the country. Like that's that's a fair conversation. But to just be dismissive of them consistently given, you know, they have one at St. Louis and you know, I I I don't want to repeat myself too much, but winning at St. Louis is like winning at North Carolina. It's like winning at Michigan State. It's like winning at Kentucky. It's like winning at, you know, uh, uh Connecticut. It, it's it's the same, you know, group of type of win. And you know, they've uh they're undefeated. You know, it's 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 late February. And so I don't know that they're really one of the best two or three or even four teams in the country, but I, I'm, I'm, I genuinely believe this. There's not four teams you could name that could completely overwhelm them. Now, they, they might get beat, but would completely overwhelm them. There aren't four teams in the country that, that, uh, that fit that criteria. Do you guys think that's true? I, I mean, I think so. I did my little title contender series on them last week, and I, one of the questions I asked all these coaches was, like, do you think they're a legitimate title contender? And one coach was like, I mean, I think they are. I mean, you you can compare them to the Michigan States and all that of the world, and are they going to beat every one of those teams every time they play? No, probably not. But I, I think you could put them in that category where, you know, they're going to win some of those games, and, and that, you know, therefore makes them, you know, a title contender if they can just, you know, hold their own and win, you know, beat most of those teams. I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I personally think they're, they're, you know, as deserving of a number two, or if you want to put them number one, I could see that too. I could actually – I am past the mental hurdle of, of having to rank them number one. If I, if I get to a scenario where, like, let's say Florida takes a bad loss, I, I'll, I'll, I'll rank Wichita State number one now uh, because I think you can easily defend it. Like, I think no – I, I think They're it can, undefeated. <laughs> well, first off, like, you know, uh, again, they do have – you know, though they haven't played the schedule that Kansas has played, and nobody is pretending otherwise – they have um, they've won at St. Louis, so they have had to play a team that is in the top fifteen at Kimpom. I mean, top fifteen of the RPI and top twenty at Kimpom. They've had to go play that team on the road, and they beat that team. And they're the only team to win in that arena this year. So unless you're telling me that uh, now, now, I, and I can like Arizona has had to play on the road, and they've lost games like that. Louisville has lost games like that. Duke has lost games like that. Florida has lost games like that, even though they were shorthanded at the time. Kansas has lost games like that. And so maybe they didn't have as many bats um, as those other teams and, and thus as many opportunities to strike out. But when they had in a bat, when they were on the, in, you know, in the batter's box, so to speak, with a, you're playing a top 20 uh, RPI team, a top 20 Ken Palm team on the road, uh, they, they, they handled it, right? And so you can assume that they wouldn't handle it consistently if you want to. But all we have to base our opinions on is, is what did they do when they had to play a game like that? And they did what, they had to, what they've done every time they've played a game like any game, which is win it. And I just think, you know, there's something to be said for that. And also, they never lose to bad teams. You know, yeah. you know everybody else does. Duke loses to bad teams sometimes. Uh, uh, Syracuse know. clearly does. Syracuse no, clearly does. Yeah. Virginia does. Yeah, no, absolutely. We've... Uh... We we've made our we're all on the same page here, um, which is I'm I guess I'm a little surprised but glad to see it. and the metrics bear it out right now too. I mean in terms of them being what they're eight in Ken Palm right now, they're top twenty offense and defense. There's only a few teams in the country that can claim the same, so uh, they're worthy and willing. Um, but now you know Greg Marshall said it. He's going to have to they're going to have to have some sort of success at Sweet Sixteen minimally in order to uh, shake off cynics. And even then they're probably going to have to unfortunately 
get to back-to-back Final Fours, which in and of itself for any program, I don't care who you are, look at even Kentucky can't do it. To get to back-to-back Final Fours is uh, is really asking too much of anyone in modern-day college basketball. But unfortunately for Wichita State, because of this, because of the undefeated season, it becomes this odd burden, and uh, and a lot of people are going to expect that or demand it from them in order them, for them to legitimize their seed. The second uh, news development that I wanted to talk about is Michigan State's loss at Michigan. I, I don't I didn't notice this until today. They've alternated wins and losses for the past yeah. ten games. Like it's win loss, win loss, win loss, win loss. And you know, uh, now they're 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 sitting here twenty two and six overall, eleven and four in the Big Ten. And it's really remarkable given that Denzel Valentine is the only regular rotation guy who's actually appeared in every game this year. Brandon Dawson's missed ten uh, and he's going to miss more. Gary Harris and Keith Appling have both missed, both missed three. Adrian Payne has missed seven. Travis Trice has missed two. Kenny Kaminsky has missed seven. Matt Costello's missed four. Mm. Um, and Izzo finally, after the loss to Michigan, I don't want to say finally because it's not like you finally admitted something, but he um, he did say like you know people keep talking. I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said people keep talking about what we are going to be. You know, like how good we we're just not going to be that. Like we like if you're waiting for us to because that's what we always say. You're like I love you. You go on these radio interviews. I go on these radio interviews. People ask you for a Final Four, and you're like Michigan State if they're healthy. And Izzo basically acknowledged after the loss to Michigan, he's like, we're not going to be healthy. You know, we're, we're just not. Like, we're not going to be that. Now, he, he said, I think we still have enough pieces to do, to really do some nice things. But if you're waiting for us to be healthy so that we can be this, this idea of a basketball team that you thought we could be, um, you're waiting on something that's just not going to, to happen. Like, we, we're, nev- we're never going to get there. We're never going to be that again. And I thought that was interesting because you don't usually hear that from a coach. I think that's you, fair. You look at, you look at Keith Appling, uh, and, you know, he, was, he didn't play well today. And he, he came up with a wrist injury. He fell down uh, today on a missile. He landed on his wrist, and he was holding it for a while. And I think he's kind of like, you know, a microcosm of all these injured players is when Brandon Dawson comes back, he's not suddenly going to be right. the exact same player he was before that. And, I mean, Appling, you know, the only thing that's, you know, people say that, you know, he's going to have to sit out some games, but him sitting out a couple more games is not going to suddenly make him the player he was back in December. Adrian Payne's been battling this foot injury um, that does not go away, so that could flare up again. So to me, you know, like Izzo said, like you can't keep waiting on them to be healthy. It's just not going to happen. Appling is not going to be 100%. Dawson's not going to be 100%. Um, you know, so that's, you know, they are what they are, and they're a, a talented team. That you know, with the right bounces, I still think they can make a Final Four. But you know, they're basically right now a, a not healthy, inconsistent team. Yeah, I think Ozo is one of the truly, uh, really gifted motivators in college basketball. And for him to say what he said today, I think is uh, is pretty significant. And this is this is shifting to not what you know what could have been, uh, but what never was to a certain extent with Michigan State. I still, I'm very guilty of what you mentioned. Gary, um, in terms of waiting to see what Michigan State is, you know, I've said many times, if healthy, they're my favorite to, to win it all. I am I am being pushed off that ledge at this point because you just don't know if it's going to happen. Now, with that, we've seen we have seen lesser Michigan State teams be injured and rally and make a final four. So, yes, of course, it is possible. But um, reality is setting in on this team. I saw. I saw a tweet today that I thought was actually pretty apt. Um, someone had said, with this win, Michigan basically is just about assured itself of a Big Ten title. So that's uh, that's one, I guess, thing Michigan State doesn't have to, quote-unquote, worry about. And so, and so with that, all they need to do is focus on the tournament. Um, and in a weird way, past Michigan State teams have done that, and they've rallied and they've performed well. So maybe we'll get that here. I don't know, but um, I just don't think it's going to be the team we thought it could be. And that's too bad because, you know what, I, I really do think at their best and at their healthiest, I, I think it is uh, among the top two teams in the country. But, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to have a way to validate or prove that because there's just no indication that that's ever going to be what it is. The third headline I wanted to get into in, in this part of the podcast is Louisville, one at Cincinnati. Russ Smith hits a jumper at the buzzer. Uh, the Cardinals have now won, I guess it's six straight. They've really just been killing the bottom half of the American Athletic Conference. Like most people have been killing the bottom half of the American Athletic Conference. But uh, still, to go into Cincinnati and, and win, I, I think there was a point Maybe it was after the Kentucky loss. Maybe it was after the home loss to Memphis where folks looked at Louisville and said, you know what, like Rick's great and, uh, and Russ is terrific, but they're just missing something. They're not going to be able to get there this year. 
Um, have we changed our tune on that? I mean, they look like one of the best teams in the country again. Uh, a few things here. Uh, one, the Rick Pitino beard is atrocious, but I'm <laughs> loving the fact that he's – what is up with Rick Pitino getting tattoos and telling his team he's not going to shave until they lose? Like, I didn't realize that Rick desperately wanted to be a junior in college again, but I'm loving it all the same. Um, two, we discussed before that we didn't really consider Louisville strong – candidate to get to the final four do we want to reconsider that and then three well three that game was it was ugly but awesome at the same time which is what louisville and cincinnati are going to provide given their defenses but four uh have did we somehow weirdly uh get silly and and i'm talking about regard to our player of the year uh category and not give russ smith more respect because he does still do a lot i mean louisville in general is, is intriguing to me again for a lot of reasons i don't know I, russ, I, russ has been in the top 10 for a while like he I, has, yeah, you know, I guess yeah. I, to me like more and more he feels like top five and maybe I, sure yeah maybe yeah, I, mean, I, I wrote about this last week in that i think both we were underrating both louisville and russ smith for most of the year um well i guess you know the past couple of months and you know, they have been playing that bad. I mean, the, they lost to Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. So they had a three-point game that they could have won. Um, and now they're just rolling, and this is what Patino does. You know, every year we seem to see his teams yeah, that's a good playing point. well at the right time. And, you know, he said this at the press conference last week. He always puts a big premium on winning the conference tournament. And I don't know if a lot of coaches do that, you know, because, you know, maybe it'll help your seeding. But he says that, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on playing well now and getting momentum for the conference tournament so they could win that which obviously carries over to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I, I do think Louisville has the pieces to make a deep run. I think they're going to struggle with teams uh, that have two legitimate big guys just because they don't have a ton of size down low. But, you know, with a guy like Russ Smith, they have multiple playmakers on the perimeter. They have experience. Um, and obviously Patino is, is might, might be, you know, the best one-game coach um, in the country. So I, I think they're a legitimate Final Four team for sure. I think they're a legitimate Final Four caliber team. I mean, we, yeah, you know, again, yeah. this is the way I always look at this stuff is – um, okay, who are the ones that I'm going to put in Magic Marker in the Final Four? And I don't even know if there is one right now. Right. Like maybe Kansas? I, I, have, yeah. I have Florida, that's it. Yeah, Florida and Kansas. Like, but so, so then you got a group of teams, and we got to fill out the Final Four. Like they, they ain't going to play it with three. You know, you got to have four there. And so I don't see why – uh, suggesting Louisville could be one of the teams to get there, even if we might have suggested otherwise, you know, six weeks ago, uh, given what they're doing now and the way they're playing right now, uh, it seems like a reasonable thing. The fourth headline I wanted to get to, Kansas just beat the hell out of uh, Texas at Allen Fieldhouse. And uh, our guy, Andrew Wiggins, you remember Andrew Wiggins? Remember him, how he was so terrible? He's overrated. He's overrated. Terrible. He's got no work ethic. He's the worst. Past five games, he's gone 19 and four, 16 and five, 17 and four, 19 and six, 21 and six, um, shooting better than 50% in three of those five games. Uh, he was three of five from beyond the arc against Texas. It's funny, I don't get any Andrew Wiggins tweets from people anymore. Nope. We were going through like a couple of months there where people couldn't stop tweeting me about Andrew Wiggins. Have, has it has it shut down on you? Your end as well? Like, uh, have your Andrew Wiggins yeah. uh, mentioned? Nobody wants to talk about Andrew Wiggins with me anymore. No, he's no longer the worst player in the country. He's no, you know, he's no longer a, a overrated, borderline top five, top ten pick anymore. You know that game. I mean. You know, at the start of the season, we would have thought Kansas would have done that to Texas, and then we've seen how Texas has played, and, and Kansas has been a little bit inconsistent, uh, relatively speaking, of course. But um, that game was completely overshadowed because uh, Duke Syracuse was getting ready to tip right around then, and there was a lot of stuff happening. And so it was almost like in darkness, Kansas just kicked the absolute crap out of Texas. Um, the kind of game that really reinforces why I will have a very, very hard time picking against Kansas to make the Final Four because uh, at, at their very best, I, I honestly think they're the best team in the country at their very best. You take everyone at the top of their ability, uh, and that's led by Wiggins, and of course it's not just him. Um, but you know what I think part of it is? Is that you know we just haven't had, and it's silly, but it, I think it's part of it, we just haven't had Andrew Wiggins have a 36-point game, or we haven't had Andrew Wiggins have have a game where he had three incredible dunks or hit an amazing buzzer beater. And so because we don't have a seminal moment with him and because he can almost just put up 19 and nine and maybe grab or maybe, you know, get three steals and dish out three assists, uh, we aren't immediately flocking to that. It's not fair, but I think that's that's basically why it's happened. Yeah, we are sort of a moment 
sport you know like you need you need that one thing to and it's got to be need a, you need your heisman moment right and and he hasn't probably had a heisman moment yet now you know i would say not only has he not gone out and got 36 no kansas player i don't think has gone out and got 36 no. because it, that, that team's just not built that way like yeah. there are too many guys on the you know that are capable of doing it that nobody's going to do it if that makes sense but um you know but he's just developed into what what I thought he would be, which is the best player on a national championship caliber team. Like, that's what he is. I, I know we love Embiid and Perry Ellis is terrific. I, I think Wiggins is the best player on uh, on a national champion. He's the best player on the team that a lot of people would pick to win the national championship. And if that wasn't good enough to satisfy <laughs> some people, I don't know what to uh, do with them. Remember, you listen to the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by uh, Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. You know, Squarespace is uh, constantly improving its platform uh, with new features, new designs, and even better support. They actually um, have beautiful designs for you to start with. And all of the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your business, they're right there. Squarespace is easy to use. Simple, simple, simple. And they still have an amazing support team that's available actually 24-7. And it starts at just $8 a month. So you can start a free trial with no credit card required, uh, which means you can start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, do this. Make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Really cool uh, of them to jump on board uh, with us. We obviously appreciate that. Squarespace, it's everything you need to create an exceptional uh, website. All right, let's wrap this thing up and get out of here. Um, what is what, what are you guys looking forward to this week? What like uh, you know, I think on Saturday we've got some really nice matchups. Syracuse at Virginia, which could ultimately determine the ACC title or at least give us a, a better idea of, of who that's going to be. Cincinnati is at UConn. St. Louis is at VCU. Kansas is at Oklahoma State. Louisville is at Memphis. Creighton is actually on the road at Xavier. Is there anything that stands out to you guys you're looking forward to this week? I mean, I'll be at the Xavier-St. John's game on Tuesday. Um, and that's kind of I, – I like those kind of games more um, this time of year, the bubble games. Uh, just, you know, there's, this year there's so many teams, it seems like everyone, you know, from basically a seven seed on down is still kind of in a tenuous position. Um, and so that's kind of one of the games I'm looking forward to. Just, you know, the games that, that involve bubble teams that kind of have to, you know, play more desperately. Obviously, I'm looking forward to, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Louisville, Memphis, and St. Louis, VCU, and games like that. But, um, you know, to me, bubble games are, are just as intriguing. Um, a couple things. Uh, Iowa and Minnesota. Um, just because that's a road game for Iowa. That's Iowa's two and seven against the Ken Palm top thirty. They're going to get in, but um, Iowa's really in danger right now of, of really slipping into that eight, nine, ten seed category if they don't get some good wins, and they could get tripped up at Minnesota, who's playing obviously for a for a tournament spot. Uh, very intrigued. Marcus Smart had a nice return. It was at home. It was against yeah. Texas Tech, but he had a career high in assists with ten scored 16 and played relatively well. I think that's an inspiring thing for Oklahoma State just to finally get the win. So their game Monday night's big. I did want to ask you guys, uh, just kind of a you know an either or. So Pittsburgh fell Sunday to mm-hmm. Florida State. That was a miserable loss. Uh, do we think that they actually might miss the tournament? I mean, 20 and seven, no good wins, really bad loss on Sunday. This might be a team, you know, they might pull a Clemson of a few years ago and that they started out so hot and now they're they're just they're just slowly slipping away here. Well, they That's could. I mean, that now listen, there's they close with Boston College, Notre Dame, NC State, Clemson. Yeah. Uh, you know, three of those are on the road, but uh, you know, if you go three and one in that stretch, that puts you at what eleven and seven in the ACC. You know, know. you've got, you've got twenty three wins, twenty three and eight. But here's here's my thing with Pitt. If your whole sort of deal all year was going to be, okay, we don't have the great wins, but we haven't lost any bad teams. Well, that's out the window now, right? I mean, you can't say that anymore. And beyond that, they're, they've they've lost three straight now as well. So I could see if they were to no question, slip yeah. up, and, and, and it wouldn't really even take a slip up, but like lose a game at Notre Dame, lose a game at Clemson, maybe get caught at home by NC State. I mean, uh, hell, everybody else is catching them at home, so I don't know why. I, 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 could, I could see the same thing with Gonzaga. I yeah, Gonzaga's done nothing. That's a great point. Gonzaga is absolutely um, not safe whatsoever. They they are truly in, they're going to have to win the WCC. I don't think if they lose, I think if they lose. I don't think they're in. I mean, I think that if they beat Pacific and St. Mary's to finish the regular season, I think they're going to get in, um, just because they'll have a gaudy record and 
But, you know, if they do lose one more time in the regular season and then don't win the auto bid, you know, their resume, if you blind resume and compare them to anybody, you know, Oregon to Arizona State to anybody, they're going to lose that that head-to-head they thing because they, they haven't beat anybody. They beat BYU they're, they're and Arkansas. Lack. I don't think they I, I don't think they I don't think they get in if they don't win it. They don't have anything. They got West Virginia a win. You know what screwed them is that they got they got beat in the first game in, in Maui. Exactly. Yeah. Dayton, who by the way, Dayton's got a better resume than I think a lot of people realize, and the A ten is going to get five bids minimally. But they lost that game in Maui. They didn't get the chances against the better teams and they haven't been able to recover from it. And they, they don't have the the slack this year in the WCC like they do in most years when they're non conference schedule is stronger so i actually think minimally if they're going to lose one more it's probably going to be the wcc title game and then there'll be a debate if it's any other game they lose and they don't win at all i don't think they get in and you know what like all of this stuff is tied together i talked to mark few about this specifically you know because you look at their non-league schedule and it's not like the gonzaga non-league schedules we've seen in the past well as you're putting together your non-league schedule you think that you're going to play dayton in maui and then you're going to play Baylor, and then you're going to play Syracuse. So they thought they were going to get two, you know, top 25, 30, top 40 type games. You know, Baylor, whatever you want to call them. But Baylor's, you know, probably NCAA tournament-ish. Yeah, right. Okay. So, you, you, you know, as Mark's putting together the schedule, uh, they think they're going to get Baylor, which is a game against a tournament team. They think they're going to get, get Syracuse, which is a game against, you know, a top five team in the country. And so you don't need to do a whole lot outside of that. But when they lost that first game, they, they, what they ended up doing is losing two, two, two signature non-league opportunities. Yes, they lost the chances. So it's like it, it's as if if you can think of this from terms of like in your mind, that's part of your non-league schedule. You basically have Baylor scheduled and Syracuse scheduled. Like that's the way your schedule is going to be. And then when you lose that first game in Maui, they like just somebody you know, reaches in and grabs those two games and pulls them off your schedule. Like that's how they got caught in this bad situation. Yeah, very bad. And so, yeah, I think that they're, I think that they're vulnerable. BYU is back in the picture in terms of being a bubble team. I, this past week was, guys, I thought it was pretty interesting in terms of the shuffle. Right now, it, like the bubble's always soft. That's nothing new. But it feels like the cut line might have, as opposed to usually in most years, it's about four teams there, and there might be seven to eight because uh, while it's soft, I think the the. the ability to delineate between these teams' resumes right now at least and of course we're going to get some more clarity going forward it seems like guys georgetown like what what on earth do you do with georgetown 16 and 11 they got a nice win saturday over xavier who was in better position before that game but georgetown just lost to st john's and seton hall they're they're a weird one so i they also they also have injuries i mean they had the josh smith got suspended and he had so whatever they did before him and they had Jabril Trawick got hurt, so you know they went like zero and four, one and four without him. So you know, and I think they're one of the hardest resumes to read right now. I, I agree. I agree. That whole Big East is going to be interesting because between Xavier, between Georgetown, Providence, which won at Butler, which isn't great, but you know what, you can't lose that game. So they win that on Sunday. Um, I don't know whether the Big East is going to honestly end up with three, four, five, or six. It, 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 things would have to. I mean, worst case scenario, they could get two. You think it'll be? I see. I don't know if it'll. No, I said. I mean, worst case, worst, worst case. case. The only two locks are Creighton and Villanova. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. Xavier's on a lock. St. John's, Providence, Georgetown. So yeah, no, that'll be a fun one to watch play out. All right, let's wrap this thing up. And uh, and I just realized I've I, I've been so conscious of of trying to say certain words and not say certain words <laughs> oh, because I of want, I didn't know if you wanted to address that directly on the podcast oh no I thought it was funny like I don't mind people making fun of me I've always said this like as long as it's funny like as long as you're funny and like whoever it is that made the parish bingo card for those who don't know somebody made a parish bingo card um basically you you can stamp it every time I say these and the words he picked out or the phrases he picked out they're the perfect they're the, exactly the things I would Listen. say right right and so like I just said all right and I recognize that that's on the uh, stupid card so I was really <laughs> if you notice I opened this podcast with okay instead of all right I was just trying to get around the parish bingo card uh, oh, but I, I, I guess it was I suppose it was unavoidable but if that you haven't is, seen that, that thing is too good man that you can go to Twitter it's actually funny like it's really funny like uh, I guess when you get a job like we have jobs people are always gonna uh not always but oftentimes like goof on you or clown you for certain things or whatever most times it's just not funny like you know it's just not it's not very creative uh this was actually funny so uh if you haven't seen it on twitter at parish bingo and you can print out your cards and, and play along uh next week uh appreciate matt norlander jeff borzello uh being here appreciate you guys listening to the podcast 
interacting with us on Twitter. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. Make sure you do that. It's the quickest way. It's always the quickest way to make sure you get the new episode. So go subscribe at iTunes, Ion College Basketball Podcast, and I will talk to you a little later on this week. Take care.